You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. our last week of the series of the story of the Bible. Uh, we have looked through our scripture and we have said that the whole of scripture has one unified story that points to Jesus Christ. And this week we look at the very last theme that we have, are going to walk through and it's a theme of restoration. And we're going to look at the very last book of our Bible, the book of Revelation, in the very last chapter of that book And that's where we'll camp out today. So if you have your Bibles, if you have a phone that has a Bible, if you want to follow on our screen, we just want you to look at Scripture. And so we're going to be in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. And this is what it says. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face And his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp or light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Lord, that is a glorious promise. That is a glorious hope that one day we will live with you in a renewed world, a new heaven and a new earth where we will reign with you forever. God, will you, through your spirit, will you compel that into our hearts? Will you make your word life-giving to us today? Will you convict us of all the areas that we don't understand this fully? And Lord, will you let us leave here today renewed in our hope and our desire for your restoration to come into our lives? We pray this in the beautiful name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture ends very much in the way it began. The last two chapters of the book of Revelation are about a new restored Eden. It echoes very much the same way that our scripture begins in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 that tells of two similar but different narratives about the creation of the world. In chapter 1 in Genesis, we find a more detailed account of how the world was created. And in chapter 2, we find another narrative that compels something similar but quite different. And in Revelation 21, we find passages that describe a detailed vision of what the new heaven and earth will look like. And in chapter 22, we find a similar narrative but a little different. The pages of our story end with a happy ending. There is a happily ever after that even Disney, in their best effort, could not touch. John writes of a vision 
of those who have faith that someday, someday, we will have life as it was intended to, where there will be no sin and death and sickness or guilt or shame or fear, a life that is fully enveloped in the love of God, the protection of God, and God's people will fully trust in his sufficiency in name. This will be our happily ever after, an all-satisfying life. And not only is that reality for us in the future through faith, but it is the most fundamental longing in our life in the now. We love happy endings. We love movies that end with rights or wrongs being righted, where princesses and princes get married and ride off into the sunset, where bad guys get caught and heroes are rewarded. And that longing is known in us all the days of our life. Early in childhood, we began to think, when I get to that age and can do that, then, then I'll be really doing something. When I can finally ride my bike or swim without floaties. When I was a kid, I vividly remember going with my mom to the grocery store every time she went, and I would help unload, because that kind of kid, right? No, I was not good. And I remember gauging myself and being obsessed with wanting to carry by myself a 24-pack of Pepsi. That's like I gauged myself on when I could finally pick this thing up and carry it for myself. And so year after year, I had, oh, not quite yet, not quite yet. And here's the deal. It eventually happened. But I can't tell you when it happened because it wasn't as cool as I thought it was or it wasn't as big of a deal as I made it to be. But something else replaced it. Another longing to get into high school, because that, that's happily ever after. And then in high school, it was like, oh, when I get out of high school, and then I get into college, and then out of college, and get a job. And then if that person would just say yes to marrying me, then I'm going to live happily ever after. And then it was like, well, if I had kids, right? And then you have kids, and you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> What is happily ever after? And I thought, well, and I need a son. And I had a son. And, oh, and then you, you think, well, if I just had more money, I just had this. And somewhere along the way, all that projecting forward and anticipating of our happily ever after and all satisfying life, we stop projecting forward. And the decay in our body and the seasons of our life cause us just to begin to reminisce cause us to think of through rose-colored glasses a happily ever after that existed somewhere in our past, where we remember all the good and forget the bad. I mean, I think I'd love to go back there and experience that again. That moment I carried that 24-pack of Coke, that's the world as it should be. And we think that if the world would look like that again, then all of the problems would be lessened slightly. Yet it is a bit delusional of us, isn't it? To forget in those moments that we were just as focused on what lie ahead of us for a happily ever after than, we, than it is right in that moment. It's delusional to think that those days did not have their complications. We just remember all the good things and forget the bad. Every one of us longs for a happy ever after, 
somewhere in our future and we haven't quite got there yet, or we believe that somehow we missed it. That somehow we took it for granted in our past and we wish we could go back there. But the Lord is clear in his word. He's clear in his word that things will not go as we wish they would in this world. Jesus says, in the world, you will have trouble. He says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for today has its own problems. And the scripture says that you will suffer for a little while. Life will not have the type of happy ending in this world as we would like it to be. Because there is no happy ending in this life on earth right now. How could there be? How could there be when we are so fearful of the other foot dropping? We are so concerned about what will come next. Where our money is going to come from? When our knee is going to get better? Or when that thing that we fear happens? The broken and sin of this world will never produce for you the type of ending that you long for. Yet we have hope. Not in a future where all of our wants are acquired and every conflict is resolved. We have hope in Christ. That through him we will receive not our just reward, but the gifts and the grace that comes with the giver who has promised to make all things new. Friend, Christ is our happy ending. Because it's only through him that restoration is possible. In this world, all of your longings for happy endings will contain thoughts of rejuvenation and reminiscing and recovery and revenge and refreshment. But our scripture says that it is restoration that we need not an acquisition or betterment or personal vindication. The scripture is clear what we need, a complete restoration of all things, for all things to be made new, not to be simply improved, but to be new again. And this is our big idea today. Only in Christ is restoration possible. I want to give you a few things to consider as we look in this text in Revelation. Few things to note in John's vision here in Revelation. John is in exile. He's on the island of Patmos, and he's interpreting a vision that God gives him through what he would have known in that world today. He's trying to make sense of what he's seeing through what he already knows. And he writes something that is otherworldly and delightly delightfully glorious. And I want to observe a few things here. First, John is describing a state in renewed creation, restored creation, where everything is pure. The water of life that flows in rivers is crystal clear, bright. He says that there is no longer anything that is accursed. Isn't it hard to imagine growing up in Bluffton next to the Wabash River that anything could run crystal clear? or not have the fear of stepping into the river and running into some sort of mutant fish. Yet John says that the waters 
of life are bright and clear, that our eternal resting place in the new heavens and earth will be remade in perfect purity. And that purity is connected to the abolition of sin and death and all of the corresponding realities that go with it. Nothing will be accursed anymore. Nothing will be empty. Nothing will be corrupting. Nothing will be or have the ability to rob our joy in Christ. It will all be pristine and satisfying. Why is that? Well, we're reminded of what Paul writes about Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led into the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to the justification in life of all men. For by one man's disobedience, which is Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus, the second Adam. The atoning work of Christ sets in motion a world that is being restored to its previous luster. The world in this present moment is going through the birth pains of renewal in this very moment. And John's vision here in Revelation is of restoration being complete, where the Lamb of God dwells with God and God's people. Everything that was sinful would be judged and justified. Everything that is broken will be made whole. And there is no chance, absolutely zero chance, that it will ever be corrupted again. Because in the midst of the city dwells God and the Lamb, our justifier, our redeemer, and we will be with him and possess a deeply satisfying security, the type of security that we so long for in this world. So long for, but never acquire. We will not have to fear the other foot dropping, another person leaving, a friend's betrayal, a culture that does away with us. John, in chapter 21, records his vision this way in Revelation 21, verses 22 through 27, he said, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. But its light will be the will the by its light the nation will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This vision for the celestial city is a vision where there is no temple, which would be astonishing, given that all the religions of the world believe in a place where you go and meet God. And it's astounding even more, given the fact that the the ancient Jews would have believed that the temple would not only be the place that you would go to commune with God, but also the very place that God resided on earth, a place that was to remain pure and holy because God could not dwell with sinful people. He must be separated and veiled and protected. But in John's vision, there is no need for that anymore. 
God dwells with his people, and it is our joy. And in his presence, it says that there is no night, that we are satisfied in his light, no darkness, and all the gates of the city will never be closed. There will never be a day that you will need that gate closed to protect you because you will dwell in God's light. We will rest in the kind of perfect security and peace that we've experienced little of on this earth. We will be childlike again. To never know the dangers of the world. To see every new day as an opportunity to enjoy and play and worship. To never know the burden of bills or politics or work. Nothing could harm us. Why? Because we will be face to face with God. Perfectly secured. And consider this. Consider just the majesty of that. When, Timothy, when Peter writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he, he says this, which he will display, speaking of Christ, at the proper time, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, who dwells in what unapproachable light, whom no one can ever have ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. The idea that we will be in the presence of an unapproachable light should not be diminished here. We will be gazing at God, at the Lamb, at Christ himself, face to face, our Redeemer, and we will be whole in his presence, delighted in his beauty, and at peace in his love. And note in John's vision here, the picture of perfect abundance. The water of life runs bright and crystal clear. Water in scripture is symbolic for abundant life. But not only that, the tree of life is there. On both sides of the river, the tree of life that we were cut off from in the garden because of our sin, cast out of the garden, is restored back into the garden. And here of its overwhelming abundance, 12 kinds of fruit, 12 kinds of fruit New and every month. You know, for the last week, our family was in South Carolina, which meant we were in the South in July, and I had a hunkering for peaches. As soon as I heard, y'all, I wanted peaches. And I was close enough to Georgia. South Carolina is not quite Georgia, but it's close enough. And so I found a way in everything that I could to eat peaches. It is the reason why my pants are struggling over my calves today. I wanted peaches, and why did I crave them so much? It's because peaches are only in season for just a few moments, just a few months, and they're never as good as they are right now. But John compels to us that there is an abundance waiting for us that will never run out of season, that will always be new, that will always be satisfying, that will always be never-ending, a new fruit always in its season. And the leaves of that tree will be the healing of all the nations, not healing from sin because sin will be abolished, but healing as in joy, that we can eat and experience the joy of Christ in our life. It's all joy. And what makes this new eat in this new garden better than the original is that it just won't be a home for two people like it was in Genesis. It'll be 
the city of nations. The city of nations who have all tasted the bitterness of sin and death and delight even more in God's abundance and security and peace. That is happily ever after, friends. That is happily ever after. And we know that in this very moment, we have a piece of that restoration in our faith through Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have light, we have truth, we have grace. We have redemption secured by Christ. But redemption is different than restoration. By faith, you are redeemed in an instant. Your faith in Christ redeems you in a moment, but the process of restoration will last you all of your life, and it will never be completed until Christ returns. Do you know what the difference between redemption and restoration is? Redemption is bringing back into place what should have always been there. If a cow wanders out of a dairy farmer's pasture and into another, they are redeemed when they are brought back into their original field. You are redeemed because you are brought back into your original position by Christ. But restoration is different. To be restored is to walk in light of your redemption. Restoration is about living in light of your redemption. God redeems you not so that you can just live in heaven, but that you would partner with him today in this moment in his work of restoration right now, to bring restoration and reconciliation to this dying world, to begin to shape it, to help it resemble what we have great hope in in this vision of Revelation 22, as much as we can and all that we can and as often as we can for God's glory and for our joy, all of it for our joy. And so if all you are claiming in your life is Christ's forgiveness for your sins, listen, brother and sister, if we are not actively pursuing righteousness, dying to self, devoting yourself to the Lord, all you are doing is professing things that you do not possess. The joy of our future restoration is not something that we simply hope in, but we actively pursue it now. Why is that? Because you, by faith, are in union with Christ. You are an adopted son and daughter of the Most High God. And because of that, God sends his spirit into your life that cries in your life, in your heart, Abba, Father. There is something within those who believe in Christ that says, I'm his. It says, that's my father. And that is a catalyst for a life of restoration Because if it's true that I am his, it means that nothing else is. That nothing on this earth could hold me. That nothing on this earth could harm me. That nothing on this earth could overcome me. It doesn't mean that we won't suffer. It just means that we can suffer. Because Christ has taken my punishment, absolved me from my sin, and holds me and keeps me, not for my own doing, but because of him, That means my sin does not have power over me anymore because Christ paid for it and I am free from condemnation. And if I'm free from condemnation, it means that I can be 100% honest about my sin 
And that is where we will find that the love of God and the grace of God extends to even those parts of me. That while I yet was a sinner, Christ died for me. My redemption fuels my restoration because Christ holds me, he loves me, and keeps me, which means this, is that all of my life is about repentance. And it is our repentance that leads to our restoration. Because when we know that we are held by Christ, the more we begin to see our flaws and sins, the more precious and electrifying and amazing God's grace appears to us. And the more that you are aware of God's grace and acceptance, the more you begin to drop your denials and self-defenses and admit the true dimension of your sins. That is the work of restoration. There's no magic pill to take, just weakness and humility to see the beauty of Christ with the realization of what I am not and walk joyfully towards his presence by faith. Christ is the author of our restoration, the keeper of our restoration, and the enabler of our restoration, and he is all the hope that we have for our restoration. Everything is about Christ, friend. The storyline of the scripture is about Christ. The center of creation is about Christ. The plan for humanity is about Christ. The hope of the world is about Christ. The redemption that fuels our guaranteed restoration is about Christ. You know, earlier I I talked about Disney movies. And the thing about Disney movies is that once you've seen one, you've seen them all. There is a happily ever after present in every single one of them. And in that happily ever after, you find that that ending is secured by a hero who rises up, who faces obstacles, who redeems things and makes things as they ought to, and we leave satisfied that everything was restored. But not only is it the majority of Disney movies that follow what we call a monomyth or this narrative of a hero's journey, most all of the successful movies in the history of the world compel that same narrative within them. You will find movies about hero journeys in every culture, amongst every nation, amongst all people. And some might see this and say, well, Jesus is just another monomyth, that he's just another cultural hero journey that creation made up. But that's not true, friends. He is everything. He is the reason why scattered people around the world without connection in different nations, in different cultures, all write the same story in their movies. He is the archetype. He is the one true God. And our hearts long for his restoration and his healing. Creation yearns for their redeemer that they may be restored. But it's so simple that we spend the entire course of our lives trying to make it more complex than it is. Friend, all of scripture 
points to the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Every inkling of scripture points to Christ. And every longing in our hearts and their hearts and all the world's hearts points to the desperate need that we need a restorer, a redeemer. It is simple. And so, listen, as we end today, we are going to head into a time of communion. And we're going to do communion a little differently today. We spend most of our lives trying to distract ourselves and not letting God dig into our lives. Never do we want to experience prolonged silence in our life because when we have profound silence in our lives, we often are face-to-face with our own realities. Friends, if we do not listen and hear the longing of our hearts, you will forget your need to be restored, and you will make yourself into your own God. And so as we head into communion day, we are not going to play music. We are not going to play background music. We are going to spend moments here in this auditorium in silent meditation, reflecting on the storyline of Scripture, the storyline of our hearts, our need for redemption and restoration. And so we are heading into communion, and it is because of our Redeemer, Christ himself, that we can even join together as a community of broken but hopeful believers who seek to love what he loved, to live what he taught, and to strive to be faithful to him in this our time and place. And so in this prepared meal today, we remember his promises, we remember the price that he paid, we remember who he was and what he said and what he did. On the night before Jesus died, he took a loaf of bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, take and eat. Whenever you do this, remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and poured it out saying, this is the new covenant, remember me. Today we spend time remembering. And if you're in here today, it's important to remember that this meal is for the family of God, for those of faith in Christ. And look, if you're in here today and you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, we absolutely are thrilled that you're here. We love that you're here. But our scripture warns us about being flippant and taking communion. And so let's make sure our hearts are right with God. Let's make sure that we have faith in Jesus Christ, that we remember his life, his love, his friendship, his teaching, his dying, and his rising again. This is our shared profession together in this meal, that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. Can we say that together as our shared profession? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Let us spend this a few moments of silence reflecting on our Savior, reflecting on our Redeemer, and enjoying the hope of our restoration. I'll pray, and then we'll spend some time together, and then I'll come back up here, and we'll partake together of the communion emblems. Let me pray. Father, we try to overcomplicate what is infinitely true in our lives. Our hearts yearn for a hero. It yearns for restoration. Our stories compel it everywhere. Every nation speaks to its truth. 
But Lord, we spend most of our days trying to deny its truth and find our beauty within ourselves. Lord, let us rejoice today in a Christ that is at the center of all things, who extends to us redemption and restoration by faith through grace. Lord, help us to not think think too highly of ourselves. Help us to hear your word today and think of ourselves correctly. Give us a moment in these brief moments of silence that you would again spark something new in us. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.